0: Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go, with podcasts
1: and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.
0: Hello and welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life, the program that takes wellbeing research off the page and into our lives. I'm Dr. Denise Quinlan, and today we're talking about coaching and the role that it plays in supporting well-being in schools for both staff and students. My guest today is Professor Christian van Neuberg, whose work and passion is the application of coaching and positive psychology in education and organizations. Currently based in the UK, Christian works around the world, supporting schools to build staff and student well-being. He's an executive coach, researcher, educational consultant and the author of numerous books on coaching, including Coaching in Education and The Leader's Guide to Coaching in Schools. He works with schools, colleges, and universities in New Zealand, Australia, and the USA, delivering training and professional learning to people in these places. Kia ora, Christian. Welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life.
1: Kia ora, uh, Denise. Thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to this conversation.
0: Oh, me and too. I really,
1: appreciate, I really appreciate all the work that you and your colleagues are doing in this space and you know, the importance of sharing the learning that we're doing. So thank you very much.
0: Look, it's our pleasure to have you here. So Christian, we know that you have been at the forefront of coaching as a strategy for well-being in education. So tell us about your approach to coaching.
1: Yeah, thank you. And thank you for saying that it's a passion of mine because it really has emerged into a passion over the last 20 years or so. So for me, coaching is a conversation, but it's not just a conversation. It's a managed conversation. And the intent of coaching is actually supports well-being, I believe. And the intent is to be supportive and encouraging. So that's the intent of the coaching conversation. And the other key factor of what coaching is for me is that it's a conversation that has the best interests of the coachee at heart. So when we talk about coaching and education, we're actually talking about the best interests of students, We're talking about the best interests of educators, of educational leaders. And therefore, I think when we work in education, we're also thinking about the best interests of the community at large, because everybody benefits when education works the way that we would like it to. So I have tried to define coaching uh, in a book uh, called An Introduction to Coaching Skills. And in that book, I, I suggest that coaching has three elements. And the three elements of effective coaching uh, are uh, a set of coaching skills. And the good news is that in education, uh, many of the people working in this field have those skills already. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also a a conversational framework that's needed. Because as I mentioned, coaching is not just a conversation, it's a managed conversation. So being aware of a framework is helpful and the third element, which I think has the closest links to well-being, is what uh, I'm referring to as a coaching way of being, obviously borrowing from Carl Rogers' phrase, way of being. Yeah. But there's a particular way of being of coaches that can lead to really effective coaching.
0: And I love what you said about it's um, that it, yes, it's a managed conversation, but that it's encouraging and supportive, and it has the person's best interests at heart. That's and I right. think all of us probably like to think we do that, but um, but actually, I think when we're tired or fed up, that it's easy for our default to slip into blaming or pointing out what's wrong.
1: That's right. Absolutely. Which is really not the coaching. It's not. And we have to acknowledge that in many educational settings all over the world right now, um, they are places... Um, which can cause stress and anxiety. Mm. And so we have to be hyper vigilant to what you're saying, is Mm. when we're tired, when we've had a long semester or term, um, that's when we have to be most alert to not only our own well-being, but how are our conversations impacting the well-being of people around us.
0: Mm. And so tell me a bit more about how you see... You know, how and where you see coaching fitting into education?
1: Yeah, so, um, well, we believe that coaching can be used. Uh, I work for an organization called Growth Coaching International. And um, in this uh, organization, we believe that coaching can have an impact in four different areas. And this is written up in uh, something we call the Global uh, Framework for Coaching and Mentoring in Education. And primarily, we see coaching having an impact in four areas. One of them is directly with students. So we believe we can actually use coaching directly with young people. Um, the other area is educational leadership. So the use of coaching or a coaching approach or a coaching, uh, coaching skills by educational leaders can have an impact across uh, an educational setting. We also believe importantly that it can be used to enhance or improve professional practice of educators, and this can be by peer coaching you know educators working with one another to focus on their practice um, or it could be uh, receiving coaching and then a final area is thinking about how can coaching be used to uh, engage with the community so um although um there's a lot of different interventions with lots of different purposes in educational settings. Um, The global framework suggests that the purpose of all of these conversations is to improve student success and well-being. Mm -hmm. And, you know, about, um, I wrote a book, uh, edited a book back in 2012 called Coaching in Education. But one of the things I've learned since that time you know, at that time, my focus was on student success. But over time, we've grown to understand that really, we need to be talking about success and well being in the same breath. Okay. And always those mm-hmm. two words together, um, because success can be interpreted in many different ways. Mm-hmm. And that's appropriate. But it's success and well being of students all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, to, to, to improve that, we can have interventions right across an educational setting uh, and even beyond the educational setting, but the purpose always focusing on student success and well-being. And Denise, this leads to an interesting uh, uh, situation because I'm, as, as you said, passionate about this. And, and that for me is the bottom line, student success and well-being. And I, I keep talking about that. And then appropriately, some people will challenge me and say, okay, you're talking about student well-being a lot. (laughs) What about the well-being of educators, of teachers? Now, for me, that that is implied because Mm -hmm. I think in order to work towards student success and well-being, we must uh, focus on the well-being and success of our educators and educational leaders. But for me, the purpose that we mustn't lose sight of is student success Mm -hmm. and well-being.
0: I've seen things change in the last few years. and I think yeah. there's more understanding of the value of teachers having peer-to-peer coaching.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, there is, I think, an increasing realization that leaders need support to be at their mm-hmm. most effective and to lead well. And I think increasingly... Um, In the corporate sphere, leaders are getting coaching, and I think principals are starting to think that looks like a sensible strategy rather than some kind of um, super indulgent one, you know, Mm -hmm. bizarrely. But, you know, there's that kind of thing. But the one that I think um, some schools struggle with is the idea of coaching for students. And mm. um, and that really has been, I think, around structure and saying, oh, only very wealthy schools can afford to provide professional coaching for students. But we know there are many ways of doing it. So what's mm. your approach there in terms of reaching schools that can't afford professional executive coaches for students?
1: Yeah, what a great question. Um, just if I may, a little aside about the indulgence question, which I think is critical. Um, mm. And my experience in the in the UK, in Australia, but even in the US, is that sometimes school leaders see it in that way, as an, as an indulgence. And look, I think coaching is as much for other people as it is for yourself. So I think this idea of looking after our own well-being so that we're in a better place to support the well-being of others, mm-hmm. uh, if we can position it in that way, that this isn't really about you know, it's not an indulgence. It's not just for myself. It's to make sure that I'm the best I can be to support the well-being and success of others. So Absolute, that's yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's like the the thing on the airplane that, you know, please put your oxygen mask on first before helping those around you.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. absolutely yeah. not an indulgence. And it's wonderful if it feels that way, but it really isn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so coming back to your question, Denise. Mm-hmm. So Students coaching students, uh, I did a piece of research on this with a colleague of mine called Chloe Tong in a school not far from where I am now in Warwickshire. And based on that research, we found that students coaching students had a very, uh, a very beneficial effect both on the students who were coached, but importantly, and that's, this was the focus of the study, on the students who coached others. Mm-hmm. So those students who were trained to be coaches and coached others Um, actually, uh, their emotional intelligence scores increased, their attitude to learning improved, and they reported better communication skills and increased confidence. So a lot of benefits there. Um, We can't have professional executive coaches working in schools because it's not a sustainable model. We really need to build capacity within schools, and that's really critical. And I've uh, worked on what we call student coaching, students' coaching students' programs in a range of both government schools and independent schools. And the idea with that is to develop the capacity within the school so that it, has the, uh, it can sustain it over time. So where I've seen it work really well is that um, some teachers in the school are trained in how to train students, then um, they might work with, let's say, year 11, 11th grade kind of. um, So we're talking about 16, 17-year-old students. Train them to be coaches, perhaps to coach uh, students younger than themselves, maybe one or two years younger. Um, And then these um, uh, trained coaches remain in the school for another year, so you keep that resource. But the really exciting thing is those younger students who received coaching often put themselves forward to become coaches, and then you build this kind of uh, energy within the school. And I love it when the role of student coach is elevated to um, just like any other kind of leadership roles that uh, schools recognize in their students. So uh, a student coach you know, head boy, head girl, all of those kind of leadership roles uh, can be part of the school system.
0: I, I just think that's wonderful. And in a sense, why would, you, why would you be looking to employ expensive executive coaches when you can bring a model in where teachers are training students and the, and the student who's helping another student is benefiting themselves? That's What's right. not to love about that model?
1: It's wonderful. And then you remember, uh, coaching skills, in my view, are lifelong skills. They're not, you know, so when we train students to become coaches, we're giving them communication skills. We're raising their self-awareness. They're thinking about their personal impact on others. These are things that are going to help these young people whether they um, want to go on to university, it'll help in interviews, yeah. whether they're applying for jobs, whether they're going on to further study, in all of those contexts, these yeah. are vital life skills um, that we're also employing within the school. And so we're actually tapping into a, an existing resource within the school, which is students.
0: And, you know, I guess one of the things, a little light bulb went off for me there when you're, you're talking about their emotional intelligence scores Mm. their communication their attitude to learning changing as a result of the coaching students are doing and um, I remember listening to Sir Peter Gluckman who's um, a noted scientist in New Zealand Mm. who has written about the mismatch the the challenge that we have with our adolescents who are their psychological maturity isn't happening till their in their mid twenties, but their physical maturity is happening mm. at about twelve or thirteen, and that mm. that's a very—it's a difficult and uncomfortable experience. And mm. I was really impressed by him. He was saying it's because we live in an in a in a prosperous environment where everyone has enough food and there's no famine in the West. Um, and stop blaming kids for this. And actually, what what can we do as adults? We can actually help children. Um, help teenagers to reach psychological maturity sooner. And he says, how do we do that? We do that by giving them responsibility and roles and making them feel that they belong and they have a purpose and they have responsibility. And um, I can't think of a better way of doing that than by coaching and helping other students.
1: You're absolutely right. I think it's the, the really interesting thing from anecdotal conversations I've had with coaches that we trained in schools is that it's actually in the process of supporting the development of others mm-hmm. that they learn a lot about themselves and they build confidence. And, you know, coaching conversations are confidential. So many students, uh, when they're coaching others, realize, gosh, it's not just me who's particularly worried about this thing, or I'm not mm-hmm. sure about this. I'm not the only one feeling this way. So I think there's a lot of advantages. And really, coaching is a conversation about personal responsibility. What we're doing when we coach others is encouraging them to take personal responsibility for things that they deem to be important or significant in their life.
0: I think also in that conversation, the coach is coming from a position of believing in the agency and the ability of the coachee to take action.
1: Yeah, I I love that point. And to be a little bit controversial, which I don't like to be (laughs) often, um, but this is so important for me. I think that a sense of agency is needed throughout our educational uh, organizations. Mm. So I'm talking about the uh, agency of students, but also the agency of our educators and other educational staff, but also the agency of our school leaders. So this idea of actually believing in others and believing in their agency and their ability, um, I think that's contagious. And if if we can do that throughout a school system, it flourishes. And if we don't do that at any of those points, so, for example, if school leaders do not feel they have agency, then there's a, a risk that teachers will not feel they have agency and this kind of permeates within a school setting. So yeah. absolutely uh, essential. I, I love the idea of coaching does, I would say, it does build agency or a sense of personal agency. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then I think what you've alluded to too is so important that what we're building at the collective level, that um, if we have all these deeper connections between coach and coaches; these trusted bonds, building a sense of agency. What does that do for the overall social climate and the psychological climate in a school?
1: Absolutely. It must have an impact, a positive impact, that it would have throughout a whole school setting. So for me, if we were talking about a school that's really embraced a coaching culture, the way we could tell is by the quality of conversations between uh, Mm. people within that setting for sure so you would be able to notice the quality of conversations is different and therefore i would say once you get better quality conversations you have better relationships but that's not all so that's one thing you would notice in the school is more positive more encouraging more believing But I think that has to go beyond the school perimeter as well. So that those experiences must be um, experienced also by the school's community, parents, carers, governors, you know, they should have that sense with every interaction in the school. So you could even, yeah, so the schools getting, uh, you know, creating this culture could have uh, positive effects even outside Mm -hmm. the school.
0: So tell me a little bit about um, the schools that you're working with. How are they using coaching and how's it going?
1: So um, um, I think uh, we're seeing uh, great success across um, uh, Australia and New Zealand. We've got many schools that are using coaching uh, in different ways um, in the UK and the US as well. I mean, some examples of the the kinds of things that are happening are teachers are getting trained in coaching skills so that they can have conversations with one another, but also so they can integrate a coaching approach into their teaching. Uh That means probably a more facilitative or dialogic approach to some uh, teaching activities. We're seeing, as we said before, students coaching each other, which is really encouraging and, and very positive. Uh, we're also, there's examples where um, uh, teachers are using video uh, to video themselves teaching and having coaching type conversations with one another. We've got schools that are using uh, uh, coaching between leaders. And um, I think, the, you know, the various ways that we can have an impact, as I said, are on trying to enhance the leadership or working on improving uh, educational practice or directly with students and we're seeing that happening across the board where there's a kind of convergence between coaching and well-being is there are the important thing to say is that I don't think that there's a blueprint for how schools should do this because every school is different and coaching is highly contextualized but I think the key, the key questions to ask are what would we like to be different and how can we use coaching to, to uh, you know, make that uh, change more likely? Mm-hmm. And, and through that methodology, um, I do think it's important to have a purpose. However, the, the link, as I said, to well-being is some schools have said our primary focus is either the well-being of, of students or of educators, and they can set up peer coaching with that focus. So one yeah. school I can think of said, you know, well-being is important. We're going to train a group of six of our our educators to become coaches, and they are available for coaching for well-being. I put little (laughs) quotation marks around that, coaching for well-being conversations, which means that educators and other staff know that, you know, these people are available. Anytime I'd like to talk about my well-being, I have somebody to talk to. And in that school, um, they're reporting that it's had a preventative effect because People, uh, teachers, for example, aren't waiting till they're way overloaded or on the verge of, you know, resigning before coming along and saying, you know, I just need to talk my workloads a bit or I don't feel I'm sleeping well or whatever it is. And the coaching is again, it's empowering because it's we're believing that it's uh, professionals working together.
0: And tell me, because I know one of the things that that comes up when we talk about any different kind of whole school well-being strategies is, and how do you know it's working and how are you measuring it? So tell us a little bit about your approach to that.
1: I I love that question, so thank you for that. Um, There is actually quite a lot of research. And remember, coaching and education as a research discipline is fairly young, but given the youth of the field, I feel there's quite a lot of research. So anyone listening to this podcast uh, who wants to find um, a kind of a list of all of the research that myself and a colleague, Margaret Barr, have managed to pull together, can uh, just Google my surname, which isn't easy, Van Nuremberg and Barr, and resources in education. Mm -hmm. And you'll find a complete document that has literally, I think, at least 100 resources. But to give you a brief summary, I'm going to give you a brief summary of the findings that we think are relevant, and I'll highlight two or three studies that I think are particularly interesting. But the research um, about coaching in educational settings has shown that it does lead to reduced symptoms of depression, anxiety, and stress. um, Coaching has been shown to increase resilience or hardiness. There's been studies that suggest coaching – can increase confidence and self-efficacy. So all of these, uh, I think, are related to well-being. It increases hopefulness. Um, there's some, a few studies that show that it um, enhances goal striving. So it makes coaching, helps people to want to achieve goals more. It's shown to increase engagement, uh, improve emotional intelligence. And so these are things that uh, I think are directly relevant to well-being, mm-hmm. and there are studies in, the, in these areas. But in addition to that, um, coaching has been shown to improve teaching practice. It's shown to accelerate learning. It's shown to uh, enhance examination performance in students. And these things, uh, achieving these things, is likely to have an impact on the well-being of both educators and uh, students. So, um, Growth Coaching International, alongside uh, the Carnegie School of Education at Leeds Beckett University and the Instructional Coaching Group in the U.S., we host about twice a year uh, research networks for coaching and education. And this brings together, you know, mostly doctoral students, but a, a broader range of researchers as well who are interested in these topics. Um, and so, a couple of studies that I think. You know, Just to give you a flavor, um, Barry Murphy and O'Donovan in 2017 uh, did a study to show that cognitive behavioral coaching reduces symptoms of depression amongst adolescent males in a school setting. And that was a, a study that took place in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually been a lot of work coming out of Australia and New Zealand in, into this space. Uh, and so Green Norish Vella, Broderick, and Grant in two thousand and thirteen their yeah. study was about enhancing well being and goal striving in high school students. Um, there was another Australian study, Green Odes and Grant, in two thousand and six, uh, showing that coaching can ha- enhance goal striving well being and hope, uh, even in a primary school in two thousand and eleven Madden Green and Grant showed how coaching enhances engagement and hope and there 's you know, I could list about twenty or thirty studies yeah. across the universities, working with undergraduates, with PhD students, through secondary school, primary school. Um, so there is a growing body of research, and mm-hmm. I think the indications are very positive. Now, some of these studies are looking at the direct link between coaching and well-being, mm-hmm. but uh, my view is that. Um, a kind of positive side effect or positive benefit of any type of coaching, um, where if we're helping people to um, pursue meaningful goals, Mm -hmm. um, we're helping people to achieve things that are important to them or overcome barriers or obstacles. If we're helping people to, you know, manage their, uh, the balance between work and life, if they see it in that way, all of these things are bound to have uh, an effect on well-being as well. So I guess my point is, although some of the research isn't looking directly at the link between coaching and well-being, anytime we can show that coaching has a positive effect on any of the other things I talked about, I think uh, probably one of the positive side effects is increases in well-being.
0: And I know that we're not there yet with the research, but, but you and I can still speculate. I'm curious about what you think the, the mechanisms are that, you know, what is it that makes coaching effective? And, you know, mm. when I think about it, I, I, I can't go past the idea of we're relational beings and putting us in a space with someone who is there for us and listening and supportive. That has to have a huge effect. Um, what else do you think might be going on?
1: If you, were to, uh, I, if you were to guess at mechanisms, what would you say? Yeah, and I do want to highlight, I like this conversation. We are guessing and speculating. There mm. is some research, but what I'll be sharing is just some, some of my thoughts about what it is. Mm. So I'm uh, a keen advocate of insisting that coaching is a one-to-one intervention uh, for the reasons you just mentioned because I think a lot of the positive benefits, uh, particularly for well-being, emerge from the relational component that, that mm. we talked about. Essentially, coaching is a conversation between two people. And a good colleague of mine, Dr. Jim Knight in the US, refers to coaching as a mutually humanizing conversation. So the... the, the I'm cheering. Yes. <laughs> both people leave the conversation feeling better about being... Uh, yeah. humans. Now, the person who's done the most research on this, I would say, is Professor Eric Hahn And he's written a wonderful book called mm. Relational Coaching, which is all about this. So there is some research there. Um, so, But my speculation is, what are the things that are leading to enhanced well-being is, well, somebody that you can talk to, just knowing that there's a person you can talk to. The other component is the psychological safety that we can create when uh, you're talking to somebody in confidence and you Mm -hmm. trust that person. Now I got into coaching um, because I like to help people. That's my big driver for me is supporting others. I don't like the word help that much anymore, but that's how I got into it. But I do think it's about supporting the growth and development of others. And I think uh, for that reason, These conversations can be um, uh, opportunities um, in that, yeah. So my expectation as I got in was I would be hearing a lot of people's anxieties and worries about uh, Mm -hmm. what they're dealing with and, um, you know, the honest, I'm not really sure what's going on. I I thought I'd hear about the imposter syndrome a lot. Um, And those things do come up in, in coaching conversations. But what surprised me, Denise, is that in that safe space, people actually dare to dream, if you like. You hear aspiration, you hear hope, you hear people believing that they might be able to do amazing things. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I think, um, so the one-to-one nature, the safety that allows me to dream as well as to share Mm -hmm. my concerns, that's part of it. And I think the other thing to do with well-being is a sense of um, taking back um, uh, or being autonomous, uh, the feeling that we have choices. I think uh, when I think about a lot of my coaching conversations, clients may come to the conversation believing they've got no choice or very few uh, Mm -hmm. poor choices. And one of the things that seems to be consistent to me is that coaches tend to leave the conversation believing they have more choices. Yeah. And I think that's so important for our well-being. You know, anybody uh, mm-hmm. who yes. feels trapped, who thinks, well, I have no choice, I just have to do this. I, and so for me, the hope of coaching is that you know, the, the kind of the person I have in my mind where I think this could transform the experience I actually coached somebody one time who said, look, I've got five more years in the profession. I just need to survive the next five years. That was the coaching goal. I just need to find a way just to survive, get to that point and pick up my pension. But coaching really transformed that uh, person's life and the person's view because we moved it away from surviving to, you know, in these last five years, how can we add as much value as possible? talking about legacy what is it you'd like to leave behind and my belief is that doing that definitely helped this professional that i was working with because they'd lost sight a little bit of that yeah. they'd become trapped they were kind of there was this sense of the daily grind but taking a step back in coaching and uh, one remembering what did i get into this job to do what inspired yeah. me to Re- do this work
0: yeah exactly yeah. reconnect
1: and then my hope is that this person feeling re-energized, motivated, engaged will have an impact on the students around them, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. other staff that are around them, the, the, you know, the school community. So for me, that's, that's where I think coaching can be most powerful. Um, you know, we, uh, as coaches working in educational settings, we must go in with that most respectful approach which is, you know, everybody in school, all the professionals are trying to do their best. You know, they're, 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 they're committed, they're dedicating their lives to this. And so the respectful position is to go in with a sense of curiosity and just create that sense of safety, a safe space mm-hmm. to kind of reconnect what is really important here. What is it that we're doing? What is, uh, and, and again, the coach brings what you mentioned, uh, the belief that, yeah. you know, this is a highly skilled professional. Mm-hmm. They're going to be able to uh, figure out what it is that needs to happen. They're best placed to make those decisions. So, uh, yeah, th- that's what kind of inspires me. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I got into coaching in education uh, focusing mostly on performance or success. I thought, you know, we can improve uh, outcomes uh, that was my primary focus. But the more I've been in this field, the more I think we must. you know, it's not prioritizing one over the other. Yeah. It's not about performance over well-being. It's also not about well-being over performance well, or success.
0: They are it's enmeshed.
1: About- they are enmeshed. And
0: the, If you the- improve, something- yeah, if you, if you enhance my well-being, you're also yeah. going to enhance my performance. That's yeah. what I believe.
1: Yeah. Uh, that's what I believe
0: strongly. Christian, I know that you care deeply about well being not just for students but for parents and community as well but if you if you could speak to parents um, and teachers of young people what's the one thing you would want them to know about supporting the well being of young people
1: mm, that's a, a great question um, i yeah I think probably um, It's a tough one. (laughs) Um, I do think uh, there's two things that pop into my mind. And one is that um, this coming back to this idea of it's not an indulgence to look after our own well-being. So if you are a, a parent or educator or carer of a young person, I think role modeling, looking after your own well-being, I think is probably a helpful thing to do. But in addition to that, uh, when we're we're talking about the the young person themselves, I think um, uh, showing um, trust and belief in the young person, um, giving them responsibility, um, any way that we can move away from telling young people what they need to do. I think that could be uh, a, a a significant shift. And I I agree that there are times to tell young people, but uh, what I notice a lot of is when young people aren't doing what it is we want, we just revert back to more and more telling.
0: Now I'll have to tell you,
1: as opposed to tell me more about why this wasn't working for you. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think um, the kind of ask first and then maybe the most powerful intervention, and this is going to be a challenge to to some of us, was certainly a challenge for me, I think is to ask uh, important people in our lives, such as our students or if they're our children or we look after them, um, have an open conversation about the quality of the relationship you have with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that one thing could transform uh, kind of conversations and uh, impacts of well-being. Because, um, you know, it's something I do with my coaching clients. Um, I say to my coaching clients, how do you, what do you think of our relationship? You know, do you think we've got a good good working relationship? And the reason I ask is because I know, according to research uh, of Eric DeHaan, who I mentioned, that the Quality perceived quality of the relationship by the coachee or client will have an impact yeah. on outcomes. But that must apply to our own children or the relationship between teachers and, and students. Because I think if we could just show simply asking somebody that question.
0: It shows and how respect. It and yeah, how It demonstrates all everything you're talking about, the respect, the curiosity, the interest, the belief
1: it absolutely does yeah. it could be a very powerful conversation i mean if you ask this question you have to be uh, uh prepared to accept whatever comes back um and i think the uh, when you ask the question you should have the clear commitment that you're going to do something to make it better um yeah, and whatever to the, the i mean it might be possible yeah be prepared to listen to what the answer is mm. and um i've heard lots of stories where that one question really transformed relationships
0: that's beautiful
1: might, might, it might not have been the most comfortable conversation but it's probably a significant conversation
0: and that's the thing isn't it it's the willing i think with coaching a lot of the time it's willing to to get comfortable being uncomfortable to absolutely to have those conversations yeah so yeah, christian think,
1: go on no no i think that's that's a really great point um, you know, sometimes by avoiding uncomfortable conversations, we're not addressing some of the really important things. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, uh, if I'm perfectly honest with you, um, when I'm coaching clients, there are times when I'm a little bit reluctant to ask that question. And the real irony is uh, that's probably when I believe there is something that <laughs> that's going to come out of yes. that. But ironically, that's when it's most necessary. So when you're most resisting, if you're a teacher and you're most resisting asking a student, how do you think our relationship is? Is there anything I can do to make it better? When you're most resisting it, that's probably when it most needs to happen. That's gorgeous.
0: That is gorgeous. (laughs) So Christian, two final questions for you today. The first one is, if you could only do one thing, for the rest of your life, to support well-being in other people? What would it be?
1: Yeah, it's what I'm doing now, I think, which is really advocating for uh, more coaching across educational settings. And that's what I do want to do. And the reason I do that is because I think coaching uh, leads to better conversations. And I think better conversations, more respectful conversations, more encouraging conversations, these lead to better relationships. And probably the key to well-being in schools is better relationships.
0: Music to my ears. <laughs> Thank you. And lastly, what's your own go-to strategy for supporting your own well-being whenever you feel you know, frustrated or down? Yeah,
1: so um, you probably won't be surprised to hear this, but I do uh, have both formal and informal coaches and mentors that I get in touch with. So one time uh one with one of my coaches, it was actually um I I worked with this person for six sessions just to talk about my well being because I was feeling a little bit overloaded and it's ironic. You know, my title at university is Professor of Coaching and Positive Psychology. <laughs> and I thought it's going to be ironic if I'm you know, dashing around, too busy, not have enough time for things, don't spend time with my family. So um, so one, one strategy is actually to sit and plan, plan it, and I do that with a coach. And this is a perfect example. I could sit here by myself uh, with a notebook and try and think about it. But honestly, mm-hmm. in my case, having coaching conversations in the presence of somebody else who has my best interest at heart, who is listening without judging, who is um, asking questions without leading. Um, that's what allowed me mm. to come up with something mm. that really works for me because nobody, yeah. I believe, you know, is going to know my particular situation and what I need for my well-being better than I do. So that's one one thing that I do. The other things, I do um, find ways to just take a break um, and um, uh, I notice it. I notice that I'm getting a little bit harassed. I'm feeling harassed. I'm feeling uh, that I don't have slack in my life. I, you Absolutely. Know, and in those moments, I, I build it in. And it goes from a minimum of honestly saying, I'm going to take 10 minutes to have a, a cup of coffee where I do nothing. That's the kind of, I build that in if that's all I can fit in. And the other extreme is to say, I'm going to take uh, 10 days and uh, go on a motorcycle ride. I like motorcycles or go on holiday with my family. So when I start to notice these things, I find ways to build in just some time for just downtime, reflection time, doing something I enjoy. Um, And, you know, I think that that makes a huge difference to my life.
0: That's beautiful. Thank you so much for your time today. You, I am so excited to have had some time to hear you and to, to listen to your view of coaching. It's really expanded my understanding, and I'm, my head is buzzing with thinking about the potential of coaching in schools. You know, we're, we're, from a neuroscience point of view, we know we want to build secure attachment. We want those one-to-one relationships, and you're describing a very beautiful way of embedding this in schools. It's so lovely. That we can be helping each other while we help ourselves.
1: Thank it's, you, Denise, it's and very I just exciting. want to. I just want to acknowledge what a wonderful uh, conversation we've had, and uh, you've got a wonderful presence. It's very easy to talk to you, yeah. Denise. Um, uh, I know I have the uh, additional advantage of being able to see you, but this has really been a wonderful conversation, and you're a wonderful listener. Uh, And thank you very much for all the work you're doing in this space.
0: Christian, thank you. It's been an absolute delight to get to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. You've been listening to Bringing Wellbeing to Life on ORFM Dunedin. If you'd like to learn more, our book, The Educator's Guide to Whole School Wellbeing, is available from nziwr.co.nz from early 2020. You can also listen to a podcast of this show on oar.org.nz, on nziwr.co.nz, and you can also subscribe to Apple Podcasts. I'm Dr. Denise Quinlan. Thank you for listening. To learn more about the latest research and practice in school well-being, join us at the Wellbeing in Education Conference in Christchurch from the 2nd to the 4th of April and Auckland from the 6th to the 7th of April 2020. For more information, go to nziwr.co.nz or conference.co.nz forward slash wenz20. Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store.
1: This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.